So as, as I mentioned in our last session, what I want to try to do is convince you of the benefits of small market gardens. And I, I want to make sure you understand that I'm not against large farms. If you feel called to that and you have the money and you have the land, then wonderful. You know, there's still a place for large farms um, growing things like wheat and beans and things that are hard to do efficiently on a small scale. So, you know, there's, there's a place for that. I don't want anyone to think I'm against large farms, but I have a passion for small farms because, and I'll just start because I don't know what's going on here, but um, I believe many, many more Adventists should be doing this. But if you're like me, you don't have the money to buy a large farm. You know, when you think about the land, and then you think about the equipment, you know, these tractors, $100,000 or more for this equipment that, um, you know, so either you're going, either you're independently wealthy, or you're going way into debt, or I don't know what else. But I, I want to find something that can be done um, by almost anybody. You know, how many of you have an acre or two of land or could afford that? That's pretty doable for most people. And if you didn't have to spend hundreds of thousands, if you just had to spend a few thousand dollars on tools and equipment, could you do that? You know, um, I would not want to do farming or any kind of market farming today without water. Water, sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, it doesn't take a lot of water to do a small acreage. If you're trying to irrigate tens or hundreds of acres, you're talking about a huge amount of water. You know, when it comes to equipment, um, everything is, is simpler on a smaller scale. So, let's start with what is a market garden? Let me just turn this off so it's not a distraction. It's getting warm in here, isn't it? So I, it, there's loosely defined terms, but I would say it's less than three acres of cultivated land, and most are an acre and a half or less. Now I realize, as I understand it, acres are kind of on the way out here. You use square meters or hectares. So everybody, everybody knows what an acre is? Okay, good. <coughs> it's characterized by intensive production and multiple crops per bed per year. So this is not something where you just plant a crop in the spring and harvest it in the fall and you're done. This is talking about, in fact, Connor Crickmore he doesn't ever leave a bed empty for more than a few hours. As soon as something comes out, it's planted the same day. That's intensive. And that's what it takes in order to get the kind of returns he's getting from small acreage. Um, takes advantage of season extension and often goes year round. And I do need to point that out. You know, I, I threw around some numbers with some of these different people. Um, Jean Merton went 150,000. That's for six months. He doesn't grow through the winter. He's chosen not to. And I would encourage you, it's, market gardening is intensive enough that if you try to do it year-round, non-stop, you'll burn out. 
you need to decide how much you can handle. And what can work really nicely is if you can get together with some other like-minded person and divide the year. You know, we, that's kind of what we've done on our farm. My brother, who's here, Edwin, um, they were doing the winter for quite a while while we did the, we do spring, summer, they did fall, winter. They have, have gotten out of it for, for various reasons, and now my son is doing fall, winter, and we do spring, summer, and that's doable. Six months of marketing, by the end, you're pretty worn out. Um, but, the, you know, like Curtis Stone and Connor Crickmore, those numbers I was giving you there, that's for year-round, okay? Um, usually very diverse, not all your eggs in one basket. We learned that early on with the strawberries. We had a disastrous spring um, and lost three quarters of our crop, and that was almost the end of our farming experience. The Lord is good, and He got us out of that, but... Yeah, it's good to be diversified. Now, you know, every year we'll have some crops that don't do well, but we've got enough other crops that do do well that it all averages out. Okay, so I, I wish you could see this. I apologize. Less land needed, less water needed. These are advantages of small farms. We talked about a lot of these. Less equipment needed, less stress needed. You know, there's, it's, it's overwhelming to go out and look at five acres that need weeding. But to go out and look at a small plot, I don't know, maybe I should turn this around and at least a lot of you could see a little bit. This is an aerial view of the main part of our farm. Um, Let's see, how can we do this? Might need to squeeze together, but you can probably see it fairly well. Is it okay if you just tilt that screen just a fraction forward? Oh, like great. that? Okay, we'll try to make this work. Um, so now these, these plots here, we've got 10 of those. Those are each. Um, 100 feet by 40 feet, and again, are you familiar with feet? Okay, again, I, I didn't take the time to do all the metric conversions, but so 4,000 square feet, so that's roughly a tenth of an acre, each of those plots. We have 10 of those, and then these are movable greenhouses that have three stations each and we can talk more about that later um, and to me this is the key more people can make a living off the land you know if you have a, a 10 acre farm market farm making five hundred thousand um, dollars you know why not have five two-acre market farms, each making 100000 You know, that's enough to support a family, at least where we live. And, you know, I'll, I'll say we don't, we don't have any debt, which is a big help. Um, but we didn't always start out that, I mean, we didn't start out that way. The Lord, that's all in our book, but He, he has many ways to deal with our financial situations and he emancipated us from our debt um, but we'd love to see many many more families making a living and so we like the small scale keys to success intensive production multiple crops per year so I'm just going to quickly go through 
and again, this is an overview. A lot of these things we're going to come back to in the next few hours and talk about in a little more depth. Um, so that means tight spacings, your plant spacings, um, beds rather than rows. Notice these are our 30 inch wide beds and you have multiple crop, multiple rows in a bed and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's just a much more efficient use of space, less bare ground to cultivate, to keep the weeds out, um, and so on. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the weeding part. High value crops. Um, there are very, very few small farms that grow corn, sweet corn. Because although sweet corn is one, easy to sell, everybody loves it, at least in the States, um, but your dollars per acre are very low comparatively. You need to grow crops that can earn $100,000 an acre. And sweet corn is not one of them. Maybe 20000 if you have a really good market and good corn. But that's just not enough money per acre. Highly fertile soil. I, I think you all know enough to realize you can't keep taking off all that produce without investing in your soil. <laughs> You know, because a lot of your nutrients are coming out in your produce. So you really have to be on top of your fertility to make it work. Um, and, and, you know, that's a whole nother track. I, I'm not going to spend really any time on fertility because that's just a very deep subject. Um, you want to get your soil tested. You want to mend as recommended. Um, I, I use Whitmar McConnell for all my recommendations. I just send my soil test to him and say, what do I need to do? Which is a blessing. Um, grow cover crops. I, I put a question mark there. Are you all familiar with cover crops? You know what we're talking about there? Um, a crop that's grown to turn back in to improve the soil. But the reality is that on this intensive production level, very few farms have space to grow cover crops because you need to be having cash crops in there. So most small market farms um, use compost rather than cover crops. You, you know, you're basically um, taking out a step rather than letting nature break down the cover crop, you're, you're doing it without. Make compost. Um, more keys to success. Season extension. Again, um, even if you choose not to go year-round, which, as I said, I wouldn't really recommend, but for us, our money is made in the spring. You know, after winter, everybody's anxious for something fresh. And, um, you know, when we come to market, we, we come to market a month early with our tomatoes um, compared to those who are growing outside because we start them in a greenhouse. And this is unheated, but we can still get at least a month jump on tomatoes or tomatoes. Um, so, so that season extension is really helpful and we grow, we have quite a few hoop houses. You all know what I mean when I say hoop houses? Okay, just uh, a simple metal frame plastic covered structure. Um, so, yeah, we, we get at least a month head start on everything, you know, all our brassicas, um, everything, because we start it all in under cover. 
The simplest season extension is floating row covers. Do you know what those are? Actually, Rod was saying that they're not easily available here, I think, but it's, it's, it's a polypropylene material. I'm sure you have like wipes, hand wipes, that kind of material, or dryer sheets that you put in the clothes dryer, bounce, do you have anything like that? That kind of material is what row cover, floating row cover is made out of, but it's just big sheets. And you cover your crops, maybe some places they call it frost cloth, or I don't know what the term is here. But it's amazing how much that thin layer can do. It, um, I've seen where we had some kind of outside a hoop house, just we hadn't put it away, and the, the crimson clover in the spring flowered under that thin thing at least a week earlier than it flowered outside. So it protects from some wind. It also adds a little bit of warmth. It's, it's extremely helpful for season extension. Low tunnels, you know, you can get little um, metal wires to cover your beds. Or we have, we have um, metal conduit that will cover two beds. Do you have the metal electrical conduit here? Yeah. yeah, you can. Well, you can use plastic too. The metal's a little easier to use, but you bend it. Johnny's actually sells a bender. Be nice, somebody invest in that. And you all could share. I mean, it's sixty dollars, I think. But you bend your conduit to fit over two beds, and then you put your floating row cover over that. Hoop houses, that's the ideal. You know, the, the small tunnels, it's a lot of work getting in and out. You know, you have to weigh it down, weigh the row cover down with um, sandbags or something. So it's more work, but it's cheaper. So, you know, you, you start where you can. But ideally, hoop houses, so much nicer to be able to walk in there. You're out of the elements. You can work in the rain. It's, it's wonderful. Transplants for almost everything. This is a real key in market gardening is using transplants. Because I think you could see quite easily that it extends your season by a few weeks. Because you're not starting with a seed, you're putting out into the ground a three or four week old plant. But it also has many other advantages. It, it maximizes your space. As I was saying with Connor Crickmore, as soon as a crop comes out, he's got another crop in there that may be a month old. So he's just gained a month more growing time. Does that make sense? Okay, more keys to success. Efficiency, it's really all about efficiency. This is the difference between a, a home gardener and a market gardener. You're just doing everything more efficiently. Um, and I will confess that this is not a strong point of mine, but I'm continuing to try to learn. Use specialized tools. We're going to talk about those. We have a whole session talking about tools. Um, every trade has specialized tools. And if you want to be efficient at that trade, you need certain tools. I need a new computer, I think. <laughs> this is getting too slow. Uh, man, I'm having a hard time reading this. Functional layout. Standardization of space and materials. This is this was huge for us. We, the layout of our land. You know, every piece of land you're going to have slopes and curves and so on. And so, we did not have a very efficient layout. And so we went to a seminar by 
Jean Martin Fortier, J.M. Fortier, and my wife went with me, which was wonderful, because she said, why aren't we doing it this way? And I said, well, it's because of this and this. And she said, well, I think we should do that. And I started thinking about it more, and I said, I think you're right, let's do that. So we made all our plots the exact same size, that 40 by 100. You know, you wouldn't think it makes a huge difference, but it, it's amazing. You know, all, now we have all our irrigation lines the exact same length. We've got quick connects. We'll talk about some of these things more when it comes to systems and efficiency. So what used to take hours to set up, now we can do in minutes, you know, moving irrigation around. We've got enough irrigation that we can set it up in a plot and we can leave it there. We don't have to move it to different plots. Um, you know, it used to be that we had all different sizes of row cover and, you know, you got to try to fold them up and get them in the barn in the off season. And then it's like, well, how do I know how big this is? Well, if they're all the same size, it's huge, huge. It's really all about efficiency. Work smarter, not harder. That's really a key. These people who are making the kind of money I was sharing last session, they're not working harder. In fact, if anything, they're working a lot less than those who aren't working so smart. Okay. Yeah, I apologize. I added a few slides and we've been having issues since we got here with this computer and we weren't able to insert pictures. So there's, you're going to see some slides without pictures. Um, I've already talked about this. You really want crops that are going to produce the equivalent of $100,000 an acre or more. Um, now, obviously, you may not be growing a whole acre of one crop, but you know how much it's making per square foot. Um, oh, yeah, more of this in a later pre presentation. We're, we've got a whole presentation on that. Now, marketing, again, we've got another presentation on that, but th it really is dependent on direct sales. Um, there are people that are, are selling wholesale, and in fact, there's actually kind of a move that way because in our country, some of the farmers markets and things are getting saturated. So people are having to be more creative in their distribution. But the bottom line is you want as much of that food dollar as possible. Not to be greedy, but you just need it to survive. So if, if you're only, you know, the big farmers only make pennies on the dollar of what's sold. That's crazy. You can't afford that. Um, you want to eliminate the middlemen. Farmers markets are a great start. CSAs, we mentioned that, community supported agriculture. High end restaurants, that can be good if you get in with the right restaurants. Again, we'll talk about that more. Planning, know how much money you need to make. You know, you have to set some goals and, and, and figure out how to reach those. Know how much you need to plant. You know, I mean, this seems obvious, but it's amazing how many, including myself, you know, you start out just kind of saying, well, got this amount of space, let's just try to do this. It's somewhat haphazard, but the, the more you plan out, the less, um, the less surprises you're going to have know when it needs to be planted, have a succession of plantings. That's a real key to market farming and again a difference between home gardening 
you know, most people go out and plant their tomatoes in the spring, and when they're done, they're done, you know. But, but when you're growing for market, you need to have tomatoes all season. So you have to have maybe a second and even a third succession planting of those things. Okay, I'm totally lost track of time here. 12.30, is that right? Yes. 12.45, it is? Okay, well, good. Okay, size of the garden. Well, there's a saying that I love always tend the smallest amount of land possible but tend it exceptionally well mm -hmm. i think that's actually a quote from a french market gardener um, it's a lot easier to plant things than it is to maintain them and so a very common mistake is to plant more than you can really handle and do it well and that's one of the things that these guys are learning. You know, you can make more money doing less and doing it really well than, you know, a hundred tomato plants in a greenhouse will produce better than 500 tomato plants in the field. You need to plan on at least one full-time worker per half acre. Um, and I would say probably, if you really go intensive, it's, it's more like one full-time worker per quarter acre. So, you know, if it's just you and your wife, don't go out and plant two acres of produce. Because unless you have tractors and cultivating equipment, you're going to be way in over your head. Income potential of 100000 or more per acre. I've shared with you that that is, is very feasible. Again, we mentioned this. I think ideally you want to be within an hour of a major metropolitan area you know the reality is that's where you're going to sell this produce you're not going to sell it to fellow country living people um, so if you're now in the states in new york new york city i know farmers that drive four hours to farmers market um, but I don't think that's how you want to spend your life, driving to market. So, now, if you live farther than an hour, that doesn't mean you can't get into market gardening, but you need to, to kind of look at your crops and say, well, can I do things that are maybe a little less perishable, um, that, that don't require getting to market really quickly? Yes. A major metropolitan area. I guess it would vary. What how, What is a major metropolitan yeah. area? You can really put numbers on it because it would depend how many competitors you had. So right. Yeah. There's a lot of variables there, but I would say, um, well, yeah. If ideally a hundred thousand or more, but I. I you know, with all of this, I just want you to keep in mind, if you feel God calling you to it, then don't be stopped by obstacles. If he's calling you to it, he's going to provide, you know, God's biddings are enablings. So, I don't want you to get too hung up in all these things, because ultimately... I believe, in fact, I would never recommend that any of you get into this unless you feel a calling because it's too hard. That's just the bottom line. We had so many people say, I don't know how you're still doing this. Why do you guys keep doing this? Well, we didn't have a choice. God called us to it, and we're not going to turn our, our back to the plow. 
<clears throat> good water source. To me, this is huge. Um, we live in an age of climate change, no matter what Donald Trump says. Um, and um, I would not want to farm without a good source of water. Um, good sun exposure. These are pretty basic, but you know, a lot of people don't really think about that. You need to not only know where the sun is in the summertime, but also in the wintertime. And, um, you know, do you have enough sun exposure for your potential spot? It might mean cutting down some trees, but I know that that, um, I was in New Zealand and my, my cousin just bought a place that has, I forget the term, but it's protected trees. Um, I can't cut them down. You can't cut anything without permission in Australia. Yeah. So you just have to think about these things because very few things are going to grow well without good sun exposure. Um, good soil. And this one, I, to me, you know, this is down on the list because I believe any soil can be improved. Obviously, the better your soil is to begin with, um, the easier it's going to be to get going. But soil is something that with hard work can be improved. Um, if it's rocky, you take out the rocks. If it's um, the, the one thing that can be a real challenge is if your water table is really high, if it's boggy, marshy kind of thing. That, that's a pretty big challenge. It can still be overcome, but it's a lot more work. Fairly level. Um, of course, you can terrace. That's done all over the world. But the more level the site, I mean, it's good to have a little bit of slope so water drains. But as you know, if you have, if you have any kind of slope like this and you have bare ground and you get a hard rain, you're going to lose some of your hard, um, hard one topsoil. You know, all that that you've invested into building your soil just goes down the drain, literally. So that's not something you want. So those are all things about location. Any questions on location before we move on? Okay, it's all pretty basic. Garden layout, now again, this is... Um, this is in feet and inches, and I apologize for that, but, you know, the reason why I didn't change it was because Jean Martin, in his book, The Market Gardener, gives a lot of really helpful information, charts and stuff. He's got a chart here that I've referred to many, many times. Um, this is typical annual sales at his garden and he grow, goes through all his vegetables and tells you the total sales he got this was like averaged over three years the price per pound so you can compare well is this can I get this kind of price here and actually I'll say we can for most things we can get a little bit more than he does up in Quebec number of beds per season and so this is where it's his beds are all a hundred feet long so that's why I suggest a hundred feet is and that's how long our beds now are in our main fields because it makes calculations a lot easier now you can go ahead and transfer all that over to centimeters if you want what was that? Yeah, it would be roughly roughly 30 meters. 100 feet, you say? 100 feet. Yeah. 30 meters. 
roughly. Um, you know, the, the reason why I love it is because, as I said, we, so each bed is um, 250 square feet because they're two and a half feet wide, 30 inches, 100 feet long. Um, then we have 10 beds in a plot. So it makes calculations very easy. And each plot is a tenth of an acre. So if I get, if I get recommendations from Whitmar on so many pounds per acre, I just divide by 10 and I know how much I need to put on my plot. So I'm not saying you need to do it all the same size. But what I am saying is do it intelligently in a way that's going to make it easy to, to do your calculations. Does that make sense? Pathways, everybody has a little different take on pathways, how wide they should be. Basically, the bottom line is you don't want them any wider than they have to be because that's wasted space. And it's all space that you've got to cultivate. You don't want the weeds growing up there. So keep them as narrow as possible, but you don't want them so narrow that they're awkward. Now, Curtis Stone, I don't know what he's doing now, but at one time he had pathways like eight inches wide. And the only way he, you know, he was doing it so intensively that one beauty of a 30-inch wide bed is it's easy to straddle it and easy to step across it. You're not stepping, you never want to walk on your beds. So, you know, you're just working like this. So with eight inches, you can do that. But if you're walking, you know, if you're working like this, you're going to have your heels and toes in the naked bed. So that's pretty intensive. You know, you have to walk... Um, keeping your, your feet single file. JM does 18 inch beds. Elliot Coleman does 12 inch beds. We've kind of, we do 12 inch beds in our hoop houses because that's our most costly and productive space and we do 18 inch beds in the fields. I mean, sorry, bed, I mean aisles, not beds. All the beds are 30 inches wide. Does that make sense? Blocks of beds for crop rotation purposes. You know, it's amazing how the market gardening world is kind of... Um, there's less and less emphasis being placed on crop rotation. And I think part of that is because most of the crops you grow are not high needs crops as far as soil fertility. In other words, your lettuces and stuff are not high feeders, heavy feeders, and they're not detrimental to following crops. Um, crop rotation is really important for some crops like potatoes, at least from my experience. If you don't rotate with potatoes, you're going to end up with some serious problems. But um, it's just, it's simpler for me for planning purposes to, so this block, these 10 beds this year are going to be in brassicas. You know what I mean when I say brassicas? Okay. This plot is going to be in tomatoes. Um, this plots in carrots, so on. Hi, John. Yes. If, um, do you have any advice if uh, if it's in the garden, gentle slope, um, how it be laid out in terms of facing with sun or the Okay, that's water? a good question, and I don't think we really talk about that anywhere else. So I'll just. We've, we're almost done here with the slides. So the question is about some um, advice on how to lay out your land um, if it's on a slope. 
you know, honestly, there's different opinions on that. Um, some, pe and I think it, I would say it depends on the how much slope it is. Um, if you have your beds running up and down the hill, you get less erosion in your actual beds because any water is going to go into your aisles and run down them. Whereas if you have your beds across the field, um, the water may tend to wash through your beds. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So most people are going to run them up and down, but, but you know, the, the problem in farming is there's never any simple answers. <laughs> um, the other thing you have to be taking into account is your sun exposure and what you're growing. And I have to transpose here. So your sun's coming from the north rather than from the south. Um, so you have to be careful about um, if you have tall crops and then you've got something short, you've got to be thinking about shading. Does that make sense? Um, for the most part, we run our beds north-south. Um, that way, you know, the sun comes and, and it gets full coverage on the bed, you know, if it's a, if it's a tall crop um, or short crop. Whereas if you run your beds east-west, um, there can be issues with shading and so on when the sun is low. Does that make sense? I probably haven't answered your question because... I'm not sure how to because there's just a lot of variables. Um, if the slope is, is not too great, I would probably, as much as possible, run my beds with the slope. If it got really steep, then I'd be looking at trying to terrace somehow. Um, and we've done some of that. We, we've done a fair bit of bulldozer work on our farm where we made terraces for those movable hoop houses. Those are all on terraces. Okay, so what infrastructure do you need to start a market garden? We've got a few minutes for this and notice I have a question mark here because again If, if you feel God calling you to it, you just start where you're at and, and move forward as you're able. Um, but ideally, these are the things that would be nice to have. A, a, green a heated greenhouse for seed starting. When I talk about a greenhouse, I'm talking about the same structure as a hoop house, but with two layers of plastic, with air blown in between, do they, have you seen that? No? Okay, that gives an insulation value. So you, you have two layers and, and you have a little fan that blows air between. And that, you, you don't want to heat a greenhouse or hoop house that has just one layer of plastic because it's very inefficient. So the two layers increases the efficiency. It's still not very efficient, but it's more efficient. But having a heated place, and again, here, since most of you are, live in a more temperate climate, this may not be as much of an issue for you. But you know, we're starting our tomatoes in the greenhouse the end of January. And they stay in the greenhouse till the middle of March. And then we plant them out into the unheated hoop house. So the plants are this big when we plant them. And that's just giving us that much more jump. Um, so by having a heated place to start, we can, again, get that head start and get the market when everybody's wanting fresh stuff. 
by summer in our place, you know, where we are, people are like, oh yeah, tomatoes, squash, we've had that, you know. Um, so our sales at the farmer's market go way down in the summer. But in the spring, that's where we make our money. Washing area, again, for efficiency, you know, you have to have a setup where you can where you can get your produce clean efficiently and quickly. Um, you need water, a, a good source of, of potable water, ideally a roof to keep the sun off and to keep the rain off, and um, some kind of large sink with multiple bays, you know, for doing lettuce, you want to dunk it a few times to get any dirt off of it. Um, but some people just use large bathtubs or horse um, drinking troughs. I don't know what you call those here, but, um, you know, just some big container that obviously you've got to keep it clean, but... Um, something to, you know, one key to harvesting is getting it in water quickly because that takes the field heat out of it quickly. So, you know, you need a good source of water and you need some way to, to dunk and clean that. We're blessed with a, a wonderful water source and we take advantage of that by really trying to make our produce clean. And we get a lot of remarks about that. Walk-in cooler. Um, this is really important. And there are simple ways to do that. There's, there's a, something called a cool bot that can turn a standard air a window air conditioner unit into a cooler that will cool things down to close to zero degrees centigrade. Um, if you can just insulate a room and install one of those, this little cool bot thing, and you can look that up. I think the website is storeitcold.com. Storeitcold.com. It basically tricks the air conditioner to keep running at temperatures lower than what it's it's designed to run at. It's much cheaper than buying a commercial cooling unit. Um, but again, without a cooler, you basically have to harvest everything right before you deliver it, which can become very hard and difficult. But with a cooler, you can harvest over multiple days and still get it to market in good shape. That makes sense. Hoop house, shade house structure for or two or three. As I said earlier, once you start growing undercover, it spoils you very quickly. And you just want more and more undercover space. So the more of that you can have, the better. We're about out of time. Rod, you look like you have something to say. No, no, I'm just coming to listen. Oh, okay. So again, you need water for your washing area as well as irrigation. That comes back to a good water source. Um, fencing, you know, our big challenge is deer. I know here you have kangaroos. I don't know what else. Bandicoots, rabbits. Um, it, it's it's kind of frustrating to, to grow good stuff, good produce, and then have it eaten by, by the animals. So you need to look at fencing. What kind of fencing do you need to keep them out? Um, you know, nobody likes to talk about shooting animals. Um, but I will say that we have gotten a shotgun in the last year or two. There's actually a very interesting quote in Mrs. White's writings about, you gotta, she basically, she's saying, 
you can't let the rodents eat your garden. You got to do whatever it takes to get rid of them. What was that? Oh, you're not allowed to. But I think there are exceptions for farmers, as there are in the states. If you can prove that they are, um, they're harming your livelihood, your crops, you can get permission to shoot them. Yeah. Well, you'll have to figure that out. And again, I I don't like to kill things. Um, so I feel like our part is at least to, to do some good fencing and and try to keep them out. But if it, if it becomes a real problem where it's either your livelihood or them, you know, you do what you gotta do. And I think Mrs. White would support you on that. Um, startup costs, well, you know, obviously there's a lot of variables here and, and Australia versus US being one of them. But Elliot Coleman and his new organic grower suggests, and this is 1995, he suggests that, you know, $15,000 can get you going in market farming. And of course, this is not talking about land. You know, this is talking about infrastructure and tools to get started. Um, J.M. in his book, um, which was you know much more recent, suggests thirty-nine thousand, and this is um, Canadian dollars. So you'd have to figure that out. But um, you know that's giving you a greenhouse and a hoop house and all your basic tools and some basic irrigation and stuff. Um, so many variables that I would say, um, again, you, you start where God puts you and go from there. If, if you feel a calling to this, then he's going to open the way to make it happen. Obviously, the more you have up front, the quicker start you can get. But I'll caution you, the flip side to that is, if you have the money without the knowledge, you're going to end up wasting a lot of money. And we did a lot of that. Even though we really didn't have the money, we still wasted a lot of money because we didn't know enough to use it properly. So that's where the more you can read, the more you can learn before you ever get started, the less chance you're going to waste the money you do have. Okay, that puts us to overtime here. I think that's the last session before lunch, right? Yeah. Whew, we get a break. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.